just jump right into it. Let's I'm here it. with uh, Kevin Cotter, and basically, you've written a bit called, and it's about being a missionary disciple. Yeah. What does that term mean, missionary disciple? Yeah, the the book is called called. It's it's entitled called. So becoming an everyday disciple in a post-Christian world. And it's, yeah, it's surrounding a lot about this concept of missionary discipleship, and it's something coined by Pope Francis. And uh, the way he describes it, and I'll do it off the cuff here, is this, you can't, we can't just be disciples, which means to just follow after Jesus, and we can't just be missionaries who tell people about Jesus. We actually need to be missionary disciples, those who follow Jesus and tell others about him as well. So I, it's a beautiful concept of saying, hey, we need to live out the faith, absolutely, but we have to tell people too. Right. And you are... You're well positioned to write about this because I think your experience at Focus, you were a missionary for two years mm -hmm. and then worked at corporate for yeah. <laughs> nine more. Yeah, yeah. But, it's yeah. It, it was, um, you know, I think a lot of that experience of being on campus but also training missionaries. So, you know, part of my job was each summer, there's a lot of people don't know this, but, you know, Focus missionaries have pretty extensive trainings over the summer. It's, you know, five five weeks for all of our first and second year missionaries, and then six if you're on leadership. And so an immense amount of training over the summers, and so really teaching missionaries, all right, how am I gonna actually go out and be a missionary? So really helped for me just as a teacher and a formator of missionaries to learn what does it look like, what's effective, what's working in the field, and then I was writing curriculum for that as well. So as the missionaries are being brought up and then they're training students, and then my own experience in, in a parish doing uh, evangelization and, and you know that missionary work in my own sphere. So I think from all that experience, just got a sense of, all right, this is something I want to share. I've been able to live this out. I've been able to, to do it. I've been able to teach it. How do I sh share this with other people? And that's kind of where the book came from. Yeah, so now you, you, you're working for another organization that works directly with parishes. Tell us about that. Yeah, so the organization is called The Amazing Parish. Amazing Parish is all about empowering pastors to transform their parish. And typically, the way we start is by surrounding that pastor with the leadership team. As all of us know, there's less and less priests these days. Many times they're isolated, they're by themselves, that so they're only priests at that parish, or sometimes they have multiple parishes. And that can be really overwhelming for that individual, but it also can hurt the parish because if he's an isolated priest, if he's trying to do everything on his own, a lot of times you're just going to maintain that parish. You're just going to say, all right, let's make sure the buildings, you know, the lights are on, the, the bills are paid, the sacraments are running. But our parishes are called to do so much more. They're called to actually, as Pope Francis says, be missionary centers. And if we think about that, it means a place where people go to receive our Lord and then go out to, to be missionaries. And if a pastor feels isolated, if he's just trying to maintain things, that missionary center, that missionary you know, activity is not going to happen. And so what we try to do is surround that pastor with a leadership team, qualified individuals, typically staff members. Uh, they're mature. They're team players. They're whole parish-oriented and they're getting together as a group and saying, how do we drive this parish, not just in maintenance, not just to keep things up, but we're called to be missionaries. And this, right. this parish is called to be a missionary center. How do we do that? What, is our Sunday, what does our Sunday worship look like? What do our CAA classes look like? What are we doing for evangelization? How are we training people in the parish to be evangelists? And now all of a sudden you have not only maybe a different vision, that I think is a lot of times in priest's head, but we have a team to carry that out. That priest goes, oh my gosh, I can sleep at night and things are going to get taken care of, and I can do what I was called to be a priest, which is minister to people mm -hmm. and bring people into the church and help, you know, save souls. Um, so that's what we're all about. So you're working with people that might be already employed by the church or volunteers that you can, so you come in, would train them over a period of 
how long? Yeah, so typically we have conferences about every six months. So we'll gather 150 to 200 parishes, which means we have that pastor and then his leadership team of three or four other people. So usually a group of five. So those folks get together for a three-day conference. Our conferences are led by Pat Lencioni. He's a New York Times bestselling author, an amazing consultant to uh, Fortune 500 companies like Chick-fil-A and Southwest Airlines. And Pat is just a genius when it comes to teams and organizations. So these these teams come from their parishes, and what they receive is just a world-class experience and training on how to be a team from, from somebody who, who really trains the best of the best out there. If you think about you know Southwest or Chick-fil-A, oh, you think of service and brand and quality. Right. Yeah. Um, he, he loves those things, but he goes, that's just chicken sandwiches and flights. Every parish is so much more important than those companies because every parish is about souls, and souls are more important than chicken sandwiches yeah. or, or flights. And so he wants mm-hmm. to take what he's been able to give in the corporate world and say, what does this look like in a Catholic context, honoring a priest's authority and, and yeah. his vocation, but also saying, hey, teams are teams, whether you're in the corporate world, whether you're on a sports team, a nonprofit, or a parish, the dynamics of a team are very similar. And how can I give them that world-class experience of what it means to be a team, to get together, to, to focus on that, to have a vision, and then to go back to your parish and see that transformation carried out? Mm-hmm. So what would be, like, so you have a priest with his three four-member team, um, what what would you tell them? Like, just maybe some practical tips if it could play the role of Lisa yeah. Cotter for you. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Lisa's your wife. Yeah, she... my wife, Lisa. She's, we have this podcast called How to Catholic, and uh, it's very practical. I was telling Father Mark before yeah. the show, it's very practical. So she doesn't like just the vague or like the theological or like right. conceptual. She likes, all right, yeah. like, give me the steps. It's always about yeah. the steps, which is yeah. great, and I love it. Yeah. So like the evangelization part, you're talking to maybe someone that works at the parish. What would you tell them about evangelization? Yeah, I, the first thing we'd say is, you know, as a team, so this team that you have that leadership, if, if you aren't mission-minded, if you don't have a heart for evangelization, chances are the rest of your parish isn't going to get it. If you think about leadership of any organization, if they don't live and breathe what they're trying to give out to their parish, right. it's probably not going to happen. If they don't, like, have it tattooed on right. their arm, like, we want to be missionary, like, they just have that... When you think about Southwest, like, can you just imagine their, their team is just, they're like, how do we do low fare airlines? And how do we have fun on airplanes? And that just exudes out through their whole organization. Right. Or Chick-fil-A, if you meet their executive team, they just exude that humble and that generosity and the hospitality that you experience when you go to a Chick-fil-A. So you'd say, hey, in your parish team, if, if that team isn't on fire with our Lord, yeah. and they're not saying each week, pounding the table going, yeah. how do we bring people to Jesus Christ? Uh-huh. Chances are that person in the pew they're not going to do that either. So it really begins, that's where we begin is with that team and trying to work from the inside out in a parish yeah. um, and trying to form that team first so that they can have effect everywhere. Right. So it's not like that's a, like, as we all need conversion. I mean, it's like spiritual to know Christ and want to share him. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's a big undertaking, right? Yeah. <laughs> to lead people to that. and Yeah. You know. And the spiritual side is so important, but when you talk about teams, you know, Pat would walk, he has a book called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. It's a huge bestseller. Mm-hmm. It's always on the business bestselling. You know, go to a business school. I have people all the time goes, oh, I've read Pat, and usually Five Dysfunctions. Yeah. I read that in a class, or our business, we use Five Dysfunctions of a Team, whatever it might be. And so um, the remedy for Five Dysfunctions, he has this triangle, and he just walks people through just the basic elements of a team. So he says any team with relationships starts with trust. And so you really need to build trust on a team. If you don't trust somebody, if you're not – what he, he calls vulnerability-based trust. If you yeah. don't say, hey, um, 
here's my life story or here's who I am. And yeah. you learn to just be vulnerable with that person, have a relationship with them. That's where all teams begin and end. And yeah. so that's that foundation principles. All right, on this team, even if you care, you have this great spirituality, you want to save the parish. If we don't have trust as a team, we're probably not going to go very far. Mm. So really, that's the foundation of any team. And then the next level is, is conflict. You've got to trust with somebody. Typically, you can actually have conflict with them. And a lot of times in parishes and church life, we don't like to have conflict. We're yeah. like, oh, I need to be really nice. That's what we're supposed to do. And Pat always says, Jesus didn't say, hey, you need to be nice to everyone. Yeah. He says you need to love one another. And, and, and loving, as we see with Jesus, often needs conflict as well. People can go, yeah. uh, Father, that, that homily wasn't very, that wasn't the best. That wasn't the best. I think you could do better. Or yeah. that, that Father could say, you know, I don't think our RSA class is doing what it needs to do. If you don't have that conflict, you're never going to move forward in mission. You can all sit around a table and say, we want to live for Jesus and want to bring people to him. But unless you can turn to your, your brother or sister and go, hey, I think we could do, I think we could do better. And let, or let's talk about it. And they might say, well, here's why it's not better. And you can have that conflict. If you don't have that, you're not going to do that. But if you, have, you can't do that until you have trust. So you have trust and then conflict. And once you have conflict, you can actually have commitment. You know, people say you can't buy in unless you weigh in, right? Unless you had that conflict, unless you raised your hand and said, hey, I don't think that RSA class is run the way it should, yeah. you're not going to have buy-in. You're going to kind of sit back if you don't have that conflict and go, hey, I'm going to watch for this train wreck to happen, right? right. Like right. I told them it wasn't going to work or I knew it was yeah. going to work. They didn't ask me, but right. you know, I'm just waiting right. because I, I didn't get to, to weigh in. And so once you weigh in with that conflict, then you have buy-in and go, all right, I, I commit to it. Maybe you, even if you don't get your way, you go, all right, but at least got to say what I need to say. Mm-hmm. And now I'm all in, you know, all mm-hmm. right. I don't think that's the best way to say, but I've got your back. If you need help, let me know. I'm here for you. And then that can lead to accountability. You can sit around the table and go, hey, we all said we're going to make our ICA class better. And we're all going to help. But yeah. are, is that actually true? Are we, are we helping? Did you help last week? Or did you help plan ahead? Or hey, in marketing, did you help promote it? Or did you reach out to our volunteers? You have that accountability. You can do that because you have commitment. And at the end, ultimately, it's results. Um, if you have those first four steps, you're going to get results because you trust one another. You've had the conflict You've, yeah. You committed to something, which is really important, and then you have accountability to make sure it carries out. You're going to get right. results. So that's kind of the practical human nature that Pat walks people through, the dynamics of teams. Hmm. Um, you need that spirituality. You need to be on fire. You need to have that mission-minded. But, boy, you also need that health. Just to kind of that natural virtue of what it means to, to be a team to move things forward. Hmm. What are some of the virtues uh, that a, an evangelizer should have that um, you all would tell people? Uh, I would say... Um, Courage is one of the greatest virtues, and uh, usually we, we call that fortitude. Uh, I think that's probably um, probably the biggest thing that stops people from evangelizing. They just say, well, what is this person going to think? What is this person going to say? Or if I make this invitation, what will they say about me? Or we, we fill our heads with doubts over and over about what that looks like. And so I think um, courage, I always find myself in certain situations, you know, if you... Um, I think if you're, you're trying to be led by the Spirit, uh, the Spirit's going to ask you to do things that you probably don't want to do. But it's yeah. that courage to actually say, all right, Lord, if that's what you yeah. want. If you want me to have this conversation, yeah. I'll do it. And um, that's I, the courage of evangelists, yeah. I, I feel like God has given me that lesson strongly over the years. And I just I just had another relearning of it. I was, I was at World Youth Day in Panama, and yeah. we did our coverage, and we had an extra day. We did this little boat tour of the a couple locks on the panama canal you know yeah 
And there was like 50, 60 people in this boat. And it's, it was like a, it's kind of like a modified tugboat or something. But, um, and then we were kind of jammed on there. And, and we were there like, it must have been like three hours or something. And, and they had people from France. And they had just all kinds of different people. And we're, I was all over the boat kind of taking pictures of this and that. And so I was like talking to all different kinds of people. I'm with the EWTN crew. But there's a group of like 20-somethings, it seemed like mid-late 20s from America. And they looked really sharp. You know, the guys mm. were like really physically fit and the girls were real dressed real nice. And, and they just seemed like they were really caught up in the worldly stuff you know yeah. i just did my snap judgment my perfect snap judgment you know <laughs> and i just thought they they probably don't really want to hear from me or, or any of that kind of stuff and i i remember i was sitting down talking to the crew we were just joking around and relaxing and i and i caught the eye of one of the guys a couple of times you know and i i just i just kind of pegged them for being in their niche in the world hmm. and just a stereotype of kind of partying or whatever and and, you know, and right after that, I got home. I was listening to a podcast with Focus on the Family, and they were interviewing this woman that came out of the lesbian lifestyle, hmm. married, had kids now. And the interviewer asked her, said, what would you hope people in ministry would know about ministering to people with same-sex attraction? And she said, don't presume that you know where they're at. Hmm. They might be in a relationship. They might be caught up in sin. But they might also be ready to hear the gospel. Yeah. And like you pigeonhole them. And that's exactly what I'd done to the just yeah. and they might have not cared, but just to go up just you know, just to make some small talk and just see where it led. Yeah. But it was like, you know, I, I think I was I oh, personally I was just I was thinking about it and it's like I'm sure they wouldn't have been rude, but just to kind of been brushed off by the world, I didn't mm-hmm. want that. I didn't yeah. want to experience yeah. that, you know. <laughs> I had, I had a very similar experience. I love that story because it's so easy to talk about these things. We're like, oh, evangelization, yeah. you know, and then it comes down to real life examples where yeah. you get in situations and you have, you know, like, can I have that courage? And at, at Seek, I was about to give a talk on evangelization and having courage. And yeah. um, we had our six week old son at the time at Seek. And um, it's the day before my talk. And I think I was getting something for dinner. And I was in line. I was carrying my son Isaac and uh, talking to this cashier. And, you know, she was. I and my baby. I was like, oh, he's so cute and all these different things. I just love your baby. And check out. I turn and all of a sudden I just feel, I don't have this happen very often. I wish it's probably because I'm not open to it. I just felt like the Lord said, you need to tell this woman that the way that you care about your child is the way that God, the Father, cares about her. Hmm. And I was like, no, no, no. Yeah. I, that's weird, yeah. God. I don't want to say that to her, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I, I avoided, like I walked away and I came uh, back and I stalled yeah. and then I finally, you know, I was like, Hey, you know, um, <laughs> and, and I did it and I was happy I did. And she goes, Oh, my, the response was, and she goes, my mom's a prophetess. And, uh, you know, she gets words like that all the time. And I said, Oh, that's oh. great. I just felt called to, to, to say that. Yeah. And I, you know, hope yeah. you have a great night. And you know, who yeah. knows if she thought about it. I don't, I don't know. I don't yeah. know what yeah. else I was supposed to say, but, uh, I knew I was supposed to say that. And, um, yeah, I think as evangelists, you get those moments and those are the moments yeah. that, you've got to give over to the Lord. And that could be with your best friend when it's really hard or the stranger on a boat or yeah, in a, yeah. at a register where you just go, God want, but that's, yeah. I think that courage, that openness too, I think too, yeah. is a key, key virtue. And I, and I like the courage part. Yeah, I mean, to, 
a lot of the time I think it's kind of demon of human respect. You don't want to talk about things, but I, mm-hmm. I look at it too now. I remember being a postulant here, and I remember I was like floor directing for a show. This guy was a lay evangelizer, and and I remember he said, you know, the first step is to become friends mm. with the person. You know, get to know them. You know, I mean, discipleship. You know all about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I look at that like when I'm on planes and stuff. I'm in a habit, so it's really easy to. I mean, it's incredible, the conversations you have on planes. They just, I think it's like they have a window, they're never going to see again. Yeah. And they have an openness, uh-huh. you know. And and I feel like, you know, with church scandals and everything, I'm just trying to kind of smile, be polite, and just show some kind of positive face <laughs> of the church. And I feel like I've planted a seed, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, when I was younger, I thought, well, you got to be quoting scripture, you got to be calling them out on their sin, you know, and whatever. Mm. You know, and it's like, how about be kind to the person and you know see where it leads you mm-hmm. you know and trust the holy spirit will lead the conversation yeah you know? yeah and i think like you said that assumption at times we're like oh i'm gonna have this great conversation i'm gonna win this person and yeah and other times you go and, and it turns out terribly and other times you're like this person doesn't want to talk to me at all and you had yeah. this beautiful conversation and i think yeah. that's that openness to the holy spirit to say we would have no idea, but I'm willing to step through any door that you open. Yeah. Or keep it closed. Yeah. That's totally up to you. Yeah. You know, we had a, a black lab, <laughs> Labrador retriever dog, and and I remember he taught me something. <laughs> he didn't talk to me, but <laughs> I remember, you know, he just wanted some attention. He wanted mm. me to rub him by in his ears and pet him and just give him some attention. And I feel like so many people, we're all like, we want some attention. Totally. You know, and it's like, that is such a gateway entrance in just to pay attention to somebody, to listen to somebody, and, um, mm. and you can share the gospel with them. Yeah. But, yeah, but, but it starts that really, yeah, listening, if you're a great yeah. listener, people talk. Yeah. Yeah, they yeah. love it. Yeah. And all your experience of focus and writing materials and things like that, um, you know, I, I think like, I mean, to me, like, focus is just, like, one of the greatest things going on in the church right now. And, you know, these young people are just a couple years out of college themselves going back into that college environment. Um, I have I mean, it's easy for me. I'm much older, wearing a habit. I'm a priest. Yeah. That's got to be really challenging for those young people, isn't it? I, you know, I think the answer is yes and I think that's part of the, some of the misconception about evangelization is people think I need to be whatever, I need to be this leader or I need to have a master's degree or I need to be really far into my faith to evangelize. And that's just not, not true. And you can always grow deeper. The deeper you grow with our Lord, the more you have to share, which is really important. But if we look in the gospels, people are sharing the gospel very quickly after their conversion. I, you know, one of my, mm. the stories I love the most is the, demoniac you know he's he's actually like they try to chain him down because he was so crazy and you know he's out and jesus heals him mm-hmm. and he starts following jesus and jesus says go and preach into the decapolis which is an area of 10 cities and you're like yeah. jesus he hasn't even followed you he had a, he was possessed by a demon <laughs> 15 like, minutes ago <laughs> yeah like this guy you mean the guy they tried to chain down but couldn't and he's like yeah go uh-huh. tell people about me and you're like what and um you know, one of those cliches about evangelization that I think is true is like um, evangelization is um, one beggar telling another where's their bread, you know? Yeah. And um, I, yeah. I, depth is great and we need that. But I guess back to your original question, 
I think the reason why missionaries are so effective is they just take their experience, what they just went through in their encounter with Jesus, and they came alive and they go, how do I share that? Right. I don't need a theology degree. I need some yeah. training over new staff training, but yeah. I'm just trying to tell other beggars where to find bread right. instead of thinking, I need a master's degree that I'm going to try to, you know, like catechize or like we just get real technical in the Catholic faith sometimes yeah. of, I need to know all apologetics right. and I need to, that's yeah. not, that's not what the, the church is calling and our Lord called for us to make disciples of all nations by our baptism. That means every baptized person can do this. Right. Not every baptized person with a master's degree. And that's, yeah. that's part of my whole book. It's like everyday people learning how to evangelize, not scholars yeah. and what you'd perceive as saints, you know? And what is you, I, I assume you've seen some success stories in the parishes. What does the transformation look like or the success? Or I know it's not the whole parish is kind of converted, but you must see some hope out there, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, a lot of different things, you know, in my own, my own experience, my own parish has been really fruitful with, a, with amazing parish has been uh, really great to see. I think, you know, I'll speak, I haven't been for, with amazing parish for too long, and I'll just speak kind of my own experience. But, um, you know, you see people, like you said, they have that hunger for belonging, for community. Um, we see it actually a lot in our, our parish through marriage prep. For whatever reason, our parish has this, we have a lot of young adults, and a lot of those young adults you know, get engaged and they mm -hmm. go through marriage prep. And um, our pastor's really honed in on that's a moment of conversion is marriage prep. Because mm -hmm. all of a sudden people have this openness in marriage prep to say, we know our lives need to look different. I'm getting married. This mm -hmm. is not the same. And in that moment where they're open to saying, I need to change, I need to be different, I want to be this. They have yeah. this ideal of who they need to be as a husband or a wife. Right. They say, we're, you know, our pastor's like, where's the Lord in this? And they go on retreat. And all of a sudden these, these couples go, oh my gosh, I've had an encounter with Jesus and mm. we need to do something else. And a lot of times it's not a full conversion, but they go, hey, we need to go mass every Sunday if we're going to be a good husband and wife. Mm. And something clicks in these young adults who, you know, whatever way they engage the church probably wasn't because they even went to mass every Sunday. But all of a sudden lights are starting to come on. And then as they get incorporated in the community and they can grow deeper in a small group or at mass. And it's just amazing to see, hey, we went to mass once a month and now mm. we're all in you know, to our mm. faith. Or, um, you know, I was a young adult and I went to this small group outside. I broke with my boyfriend and now I'm, I'm all in. And that's, that's been really amazing to see that kind of fruit. And again, it's not anything crazy. It's not super program. It's yeah, like people, yeah. like you said, those relationships yeah, that make yeah. the difference. I just, uh, they've got a great fraternus chapter here. Mm. I think it's the biggest in the country and fraternus is to help, really, it's to help like, teenagers boys and mm. and their fathers to connect and they used to i think they're talking about kind of rewording things but i mean it was just to focus on the the young people but the a lot of the fathers will come to these meetings mm. and they say sometimes it feels like we're really it's a ministry to the father uh -huh. so that, that he works with the son you know yeah but there's i was at a meeting last night and you know there's i don't know like 50 60 people there and and some even guys I know that they've raised their families and they're just coming back like for the fellowship, mm. you know, men. Yeah. And, and to give something, you know. And, and there's just a great power there to see that connection. I mean, they give like a talk on virtue and they have like little breakout sessions and, and maybe show some kind of instructional video. 
But it was just something so powerful about just kind of getting together, sharing a little, shake. They make a point to shake each other's hands, you know, when they're leaving. Oh, you know, they go, shake somebody's hands before they leave. And, <laughs> and cool. it's just something to get these guys together and to kind of focus on being a better guy. Mm-hmm. And you know what it struck me last night, too, is I listen to a lot of podcasts, a lot of women on podcasts, we interview a lot of women, and the guys are just so simple. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like they're, I don't know, they talk about a problem or an issue, they talk about a virtue, they talk about what they need to do, and in some ways it's not, maybe not as interesting, <laughs> but you feel like it's like this group that's ready to move forward. Hmm. You know, there's yeah. this energy there. Yeah. And when they get together, it kind of builds that energy. Yeah. You know, and it, it it's just a it's just a great great thing. You know, I I've kind of gotten to that point myself. I I like in a prayer group with five couples or so, and I used to worry so much about oh the book we're reading or if we're, is everybody sharing deeply enough or vulnerable mm. enough and blah blah blah. And now I'm just like just just get together. You know, and just talk. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and something happens. You yeah. Know, people get real. Yeah. And it encourages one another. And that's what, I mean, I think with evangelization, I think with what we do with Amazing Parish that I really love is that we really try to respect a parish's unique approach, whatever they're at. Because I think the gospel and the Holy Spirit just works in all different kind of ways. And as soon as you try to, like, pragmatize or say, this is the way you get people to faith or this, you know, there's, there's great programs out there and they, can, mm-hmm. they should be used and can be used. But I think in Amazing Parish, we try to say, what is the unique charism of you as a pastor or you as a team or you as a parish and say, let the Holy Spirit work through that? Because mm. for some parishes, it might be something like the fraternities where it's mm-hmm. husbands and sons. It's like, oh my gosh, the gospel is just working through that. Mm-hmm. And other people, it's like marriage prep. Yeah. At my parish back home, it's RCAA. That's like the last place you think evangelization is RCAA. Yeah. But that's we use RCA for evangelization and it huge amount of fruit. In mm. other, other parishes, they do all sorts of stuff and you go, boy, that wouldn't work at my parish. Yeah. But the Holy Spirit's working through that yeah. move and go. Yeah. And I think as soon as we get too systematized with evangelization, as soon as yeah. we say, this is how God works, right. bad, bad idea. And I, that's why I just love your yeah. – I would have never yeah. thought like that father-son, that's yeah. where the gospel is going to move. But you can just tell like from that community like yeah. God is moving. Yeah, yeah. And we shouldn't try to box it in. We yeah. should just let it, let it go. I, was, I sponsored a guy in RCIA, RCIA here – years ago and I remember one of the best discussions they had it was on the communion of saints and we have a number of, like Protestants here in the south who have mm. come to Catholicism so they just like a few of them talked about like the hurdles they had to get over in, in accepting this doctrine and there was like three different insights that were really good and I was like blown away because like you know a guy enters the church last year and now he's sponsoring somebody this year so he's not like that far in you know yeah but uh they shared because it was real. You know, they had a block or whatever, and they had to come to an understanding of something. And it just struck me as such a powerful model of you know how powerful RCI can be. You know, mm-hmm. people just sharing their lived experience of coming mm-hmm. to a deeper faith. And it, it is. I remember it just struck me as a gold mine. Man, I wish you know put it on television or something. You know, but yeah. Uh, yeah but if you could somehow bring more parishioners into that to kind of mm-hmm. receive inside energy from that but. i think we have something like 70 people in our city right now and it's not just people coming in the church but different mm-hmm. parishioners come but i think there's 18 20 people coming in the church but it's surrounded yeah. by other people in the parish and sponsors and yeah 
uh, that's just a part of our charismatic yeah. parish is that intellectual formation that if we go deeper, you know, right. we're deeper rooted and people go, yeah. gosh, I just, I never was taught the Catholic faith. So I actually need to go back to our yeah. I don't yeah. know it. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. What do you see? Let's kind of wind it up here, but uh, what do you see like the landscape and the parishes like where people are at, like what is effective in reaching to them or speaking to them or bringing them to the faith? I don't know, like people in the pew, like you want a deeper experience. What in your mind like works well? For yeah, them? I, uh, you know, the thing that I've used that, yeah, I've been with Focus for a really long time or for 11 years and made the transition over to the amazing parish now, but um, so I've been, all the time I work for folk, especially at the headquarters, I've been at parishes going, how do I do evangelization here? How do I yeah. disciple people? And it's been a really, to be honest, a frustrating experience most yeah. of the time. And I feel like I've only gotten traction over the last three years, and we've used something called the Alpha Course. And the Alpha Course is a um, something now the Anglican tradition, but it's used from, for all sorts of different, whether Pentecostal or Catholic, and it can mm -hmm. be adapted a little bit more to the Catholic faith. It's um, Renero Cantalamesa, who's a preacher of the papal household for... Pope Francis and JB2 mm -hmm. and Benedict, he's a big proponent of Alpha, and you know, a number of Catholics are. And, and just using Alpha in our parish, and so Alpha, it's a, um, it's a study, and some people would call it a Bible study, but it's really a, uh, a culture that you bring to the, chair, the parish of inviting people in to experience Jesus. So it starts off with a meal, right? That, that friendship component that I love is just getting people together, and you don't talk about the faith, you say, how's work going? And uh, what else is going on? What do you, mm -hmm. uh, you like soccer? Let's talk soccer. You just get yeah. to know people. You get that trust that's so important. Mm -hmm. And then the next half hour, you watch a, you know, a, a clip on the faith. It could be, it's one of the big questions. It's like, who is Jesus? Why did he die? How do I pray? Uh, how could I read scripture? What does the Holy Spirit mean? Just kind of general questions. But mm -hmm. those videos are really um, just contain a lot of great truth and, and um, just, yeah, a lot of basic yeah. principles of the faith. And then you have a conversation for 30 minutes. Yeah. And usually as a host, as someone leading or facilitating that small group, you don't answer a lot of questions. You just throw them out there and people can say all sorts of things, but they actually just get their stuff on the table. Yeah. A lot of times when you have a study, it's like, oh, I have to act you know, real professional and I have to say the right answer. And at Alpha, they just encourage and say, say what you're thinking. Because you can't, you can't wrestle with your objections to the faith unless you actually put them on the table. Because sometimes it's in your head, but when you actually put it on the table, when you actually speak it out loud, you go, oh, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I never thought about that, but, right. you know, that, that was really helpful because I heard from this person, and I always thought that was an objection to the church, but now that I think about it, it isn't. And so you create this kind of this welcoming atmosphere. Mm -hmm. People are allowed to say how they think and feel, but all the time you're preaching the gospel and just amazing things happen when all of a sudden mm -hmm. that combination, and I've just... You know, it hasn't been like alarming numbers and things like that, but yeah. I just know, you know, each time people come into faith and saying, all right, I want to do this. I want to give my life to Jesus. And, you know, people breaking up with their boyfriends and people going to church every Sunday, you know, and now, and yeah. people raising their kids in the faith. And you just see those little relationships. And that's, that's where I've been able to see a lot of fruit with sharing the gospel and then building people up. And then you can turn around and say, hey, uh, would you like to help at a table? Not lead a conversation. You might not be ready for that, but yeah. you've come to faith just – be there and help out. And then maybe you, then you can lead later on. And so all of a sudden you can disciple and bring people up in it and they go through the course again or they go through RCA or they join a small group, whatever it might be. So um, that's, been, that's been hugely effective and uh, just a real blessing to me. And again, there's so many ways to evangelize. So I would hate to say right. this is the way, but right. Alpha has been one of those ways that I've seen that's been really powerful.
Yeah, I've certainly, we've heard a lot about it here with people coming to share. So it's, uh, it's a good program. Well, thanks for the great yeah. for the interview and thanks all the good Mark. work. Thanks, Mark. It's fantastic. Yeah.